Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover its timeless wisdom and to discuss how we might apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach, David Wong. Morning. Good morning. How are you doing, David? Doing well. How about you? Still just trying to walk the timeless way in this life that seems to get more interesting and um, more kind of confounding each day, it seems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. Yep. And uh, I think that you know, look, looking forward to uh, our discussion today because, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's Tao, you know, ever changing and ever eternal. That's an excellent point that um, Tao doesn't necessarily want us to make perfect sense of it. Right, right. So we're going to talk about some of these changes Today, I know our, our focus is chapter six, which it's a it's a really interesting chapter, but it's also very brief. It's very abstract and and there's a lot of metaphors in it. And so we're going to kind of talk about those and explore those. But I'm wondering if, if first, if you would be willing to read chapter six in Chinese. Sure. Gu shen bu si, shi wei xuan ping, xuan ping zhi men, shi wei tian di gen, mian mian ruo cun, yong zhi bu qing. So it is short. Yeah, you could almost do it in one breath if you really tried. Yeah. And so I'm going to read a, a translation from this chapter. There's there's some metaphors in it that we're going to get into, and it'll be quite obvious what those metaphors are once I read this translation. This one, I'm doing the red pine translation, which generally I find to be um, a, a very good translation, and it also has a lot of commentary with it. Mm-hmm. We might get into some of that commentary today, too. But here's what Red Pine has to say about Chapter 6. The valley spirit that doesn't die, we call the dark womb. The dark womb's mouth we call the source of heaven and earth, as elusive as gossamer silk, and yet it can't be exhausted. Mm. So incredibly brief, and and the, the core metaphor is this dark womb, and he also refers to it as the valley spirit, but essentially we're talking about the same thing and and what we're trying to understand is what does Lao Tzu mean by these metaphors and, and trying to understand 
why Lao Tzu might have chosen mm -hmm. these particular metaphors. So, you know, what what's your take on why would Lao Tzu, as the the source of of existence, as the source of the universe, mm -hmm. use this metaphor as a dark womb? It's also been in some translations would would say like the mysterious female, but it has mm -hmm. this note of mystery and and female energy and also this metaphor of of the valley the valley spirit they're they're all kind of considered to point to the same thing what are the qualities that you can imagine or the reasons why you think Lao Tzu might have used these metaphors to describe the gate yeah. existence yeah yeah I, I think, you know, when I saw the, that word, xianping, uh, the dark womb or the, the female, uh, the uh, mysterious female, you know, one thing that immediately came to mind is a lot of the, you know, archaeology, you know, archaeology, you know, the, the historical discoveries, mm. you know, of the figurines, mm. uh, you know, across cultures, you know. Um, According to those discoveries, you know, there's just more depiction of the, the females, what they called, I think they call Venuses, mm. uh, you, you know, for, for those. Uh, they're just, there's still like a lot of different interpretations for what, you know, they made uh, in, during those uh, period. But I think there's, you know, definitely people point that toward you know, fertility, you know, life-giving forces. So at that time, for, for, for you know, the, the ancient people believe that's the, the source of all creations. And I think allows uh, probably, you know, as a somebody who worked in the, in the uh, imperial archive, have probably seen those, you know, records or stories that led him to, um, you know, to use uh, the mysterious, you know, the female as a pointer toward the nature of Tao. That's mm. kind of the connection I'm making. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that just when when you go back and if you go to a natural history museum and and look at civilizations it's a common metaphor. It's not unique just to Taoism. It's very common across civilizations that the, the female is this image of what gives, gives birth to life, gives birth to everything. And so it, it does make sense that Lao Tzu would choose a similar type of, of metaphor. He's not necessarily creating a new concept here he's really just using a common metaphor yeah it was probably the culture or at least the, the some of the remnants of the ancient culture uh during that time i, I think during that time his time he they're more it's already a historical period that uh you know uh males like dominant mm -hmm. uh in society but, you know, just like always what he did, he, he wanted to go back in time to trace the origin 
of the you know to of human kind of human evolution and he also uses the image of of the valley and that is a a, a bit unique to Dalai. Mm. but he 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 talks about the valley spirit also being the same as the mysterious female or dark womb tell me your impression of, of the use of the valley as a metaphor yeah that's a i i think um yeah that's a little bit of um well let me take it back the i think in a lot of the chinese idioms even nowadays uh that valley uh usually is used to symbolize uh emptiness vastness um for example, if you want to uh, characterize ca characterize somebody who is humble, mm -hmm. like with humility, mm -hmm. you would say "xu huai ruo gu," meaning uh, that person uh, is mind is so empty and open open that it's like a vast valley. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody who is open to many possibilities. Mm -hmm. So So that came a lot from the classics, like including uh, Laozi, because he thought uh, that valley, which is, you know, like from a geography perspective, like it's a, it's a kind of a lower place, lower uh, land that is usually eroded by a river, but then around that, uh, you know, there are a lot of hills and mountains. Um, you know, in fact, when you look at, I mean, it's really kind of the, uh, you know, in where I used to live, my hometown is part of the, that valley of the Yangtze River. Mm. A lot of the civilizations, uh, when you, again, look around the world, people tend to settle in a valley which rich with life. Uh, so I guess that's where the metaphor came from. Like the valley, as low it is, it is just a breeding ground of life. And also it's a cradle of civilizations. So there's there's clearly this feeling of it being this this humble place, this low place. It's not trying to lord over anyone or anything yeah yeah but it actually creates the conditions for abundant life that water can flow through the valley and create fertile land that can be farmed and um there can be homes built in this valley it it through its emptiness and humility there's also abundance there's this breadth to it this expansiveness to it so it's not it's not like a a desert it's it's the opposite it's 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 this through its lowness and humility all these things can come forth including remarkable beauty like if you think of um yosemite in california that's considered this just you know, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And of course, it's the Yosemite Valley that 
makes mm. the possibility for all this beauty to arise. Without the valley, there wouldn't be the beauty of these amazing rock structures and um, all of the gorgeous vistas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, even like I, I was wondering where you were born. You know, is that like a Appalachian Valley or the Shenandoah Valley? Mm -hmm. Is there like a, a notion of valley that gives rise to lots of, you know, the plants and you know nature and human flourishing? Well, definitely. Um, the first town that I lived in, I mean, it, it was. <clears throat> A valley. It was a flood, <clears throat> a flood plain mm -hmm. situated between the mountains. That essentially there was two mountains on either side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the river came through the valley, and it was just flat enough where the train would come through that way. I see. And then, of course, a a, a back in in those days. Many of the towns that emerged were were built around railroad tracks, mm. built around mm. stations where um, the trains would stop and deliver goods or, or people. Mm -hmm. And so, without a doubt, um, many of the towns in Appalachia, the the valleys were critical to. Um, thriving to society and the communities there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you see sometimes, you know, whenever I think about a valley, I think about the that misty thing, the mm -hmm. mystical. Do you like do you remember from, you know, either you you're 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 living there or maybe you travel to other valleys, like all the mountains, it's sometimes when the clouds are just over, you don't see everything. So I, I think when Laozi uses valley, Gu, it has that kind of a mystical uh, sense to it. Yeah, it, it becomes its own kind of container where even as a little kid in that mm -hmm. town, I mean, this is obviously before the internet and you know, we, yeah. I think, had three, three TV stations that, were largely the same. There was no um, cable TV yet. And the mountains created this wall, really, where, I mean, you couldn't barely even, I mean, see any mm -hmm, sky. Mm -hmm. I mean, these mountains just took up the whole field of view, and you didn't know what was on the other side of that mountain, that it really was the valley was where you existed and became your whole world. I see. And, and so I think when you're talking about the, the mist and the fog, there's that element that can make it even more m mysterious, but even just the natural structure of a valley where that does create that mystery just in and of itself of, yeah, here's this giant mountain and I don't know what's on the other side, that there is just this mystery that gets evoked from that feature. I see. There's also like a certain like unpolluted 
right? Don't you think? Because it's so uh, over there, you know, whatever over happening over there doesn't really disturb, you know, this almost like self-contained, you know, space. Definitely. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. I think even going back to Lao Tzu's description of a utopian village to some extent. Yep. I think he's he's talking about the kind of place where I grew up, which there was maybe four or five hundred people and yep. you know, ten miles of road along the river separated that town from the next town. You know, you couldn't you you knew that there was other people at the end of that road, but you hardly ever saw them. You didn't interact with them. And I mean, it was really just this self-contained town in this valley. Of mm -hmm. just, you know, most people knew each other, but still kind of kept to themselves a lot. But I mean, there was a community there. And, and without a doubt, I think um, this, this, this metaphor really extends to Lautz's description of kind of the ideal way for people to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just compare that with a like a, a city, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, people's assumptions about a city is because they're just people from all over the world. Like, let's take New York City, for example. Um, you know, when you think about it, sometimes I wonder um, whether that brings forth more vitality or real life than a place like what you just, just described. Uh, you know, part of me says, oh, yeah, maybe at first, you know, all the noises, all the, you know, people, the traffic, it, it gives you the superficial impression of life, you know, liveliness mm -hmm. or right in that city. But after a while, you know, I imagine sometimes people are so it's so crowded, people are so becoming actually numb mm -hmm. or isolated mm -hmm. in a crowded world like that. Mm -hmm. If you compare with a a place which is so open spaced you know, that space may bring forth more life mm -hmm. from, you know, from from within, you know, that you feel more liveliness. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an issue of, of sustainability where mm -hmm. even we're seeing, um, you know, things going on in, in California with there's there's not enough water and... Yeah, yeah. Running out of water and trying to figure out where the water is going to come from. I think, yeah, when you think about sustainability, it clearly, if if you're growing and trying to cram so many people into a place that your fundamental resource of of clean water and drinkable water mm -hmm. isn't isn't readily available. That's clearly not sustainable. So I, th I think, yes, exactly that, that these giant cities in a short 
term can create a lot of energy, a lot of creativity, yeah. a lot of interesting things. There's a breaking point and it, it, and, and Lao Tzu talks about that, the, the, the leveling of all things that, that, yeah, we can build up these giant cities that tower into the sky mm-hmm. But Dow levels everything. What's high gets brought low back into the valley. Yeah, yeah. And use the last two sentences, like two sentences from this chapter, like mian mian yong zhi bu ting. I think it definitely, you know, the 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 city life doesn't act like that, right? No. It it just stops it on and stalls after a while mm-hmm. beyond a point. Yeah. And, and, and so that there's sort of this, um, embedded within this Lao is describing to us the, the positive side of, um, Tao it's creative side, but mm-hmm. it, the destructive side is also implied the part where it's like, yeah, living low and humble, humbly and simply in the Valley that's kind of where life is inexhaustible when you try to go beyond that maybe it's going to be brought back down yeah 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 and and took that uh you know to to take to take that uh, uh line of thinking even further sometimes i find at the individual level it's the same thing mm-hmm. you know for example if you Say somebody is full them full of themselves. Mm-hmm. When somebody is full of themselves, that means uh, you know his or her mind and heart is just overcrowded, right? Mm-hmm. With you know maybe knowledge, you know maybe you know desires or maybe prejudices, whatever it is. It's not like a mm-hmm. it, it's not a, like a big valley. It's almost like uh, after a while that crowdedness. That, I mean, it's it's all the all the creative impulses or maybe creative abilities are um, get get uh, get um, how how would you say that they are all crowded out. Mm-hmm. It's not a, like a more sustainable like a creativity sometimes as an individual. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you know the the going back to the metaphor of the ivory tower that mm-hmm. you know we 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 can see that that when at the individual level when people build up all those intellectual structures, they mm-hmm. get divorced from their own humanity at some point. Like they they lose Ren at that point. That it just becomes mm-hmm. this dead tower of knowledge where yeah they're up in the sky somewhere and Mm -hmm. can can maybe talk about a lot of things but there's no warmth to it there's no vitality it's not life-giving it's Mm -hmm. more like a way of of creating separation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which i think you know do you think that that shows up in Maybe we can talk about how how that shows up in our our society to today. I just 
feel like the sheer the 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 how busy people are mm. uh you know how i think that itself that itself creates a lot of uh problems and consequences for individuals uh people because people are so busy they so get so obsessed and uh, focus on something they're not open to see that you know great expansion of a valley yeah so sometimes they get i mean they they lose sight of the other possibilities mm. I mean, that's the first thing i can think of so in other words you know maybe being able to unplug and really kind of a retreat uh from the world uh occasionally will give us that uh space and uh, maybe will help us renew <laughs> mm -hmm. that ability to uh like what's what's being described kind of return to the root right the mm -hmm. can mm. it makes me think of so you know i know we we try to quote a lot of interesting people and i know one person that we come up with a lot um is krishnamurti and this morning i was looking at um some quotes from from him mm. and, and this one popped into um my feed and and it made me think of exactly what you were were saying and so i, I I would like to read it and maybe get your reaction to it. Sure, absolutely. It is very important to go out alone, to sit under a tree, not with a book, not with a companion, but by yourself, and observe the falling of a leaf. Hear the lapping of the water, the fisherman's song. Watch the flight of a bird, and of your own thoughts as they chase each other across the space of your mind. If you are able to be alone and watch these things, then you will discover extraordinary riches which no government can tax, no human agency can corrupt, and which can never be destroyed. Wow. I love it. I mean, just the imageries he described, you know, I want to be in that kind of state mm -hmm. just right now, you know, and, and interestingly is all this is offered for free. It's for us to enjoy, but for whatever reason, we are obsessed with something else, you know, a lot of the you know, man-made thing and, you know, the societal, you know, the, the um, pressure to, uh, to uh, compete and to feel, you know, superior, you know, all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, a lot of the nonsense. I mean, we're, <laughs> I think a lot of the time, you know, if you look at people every day, I think most of the time, their time and their life is, consumed by those nonsenses, you know, starting from the top, you know, the leaders of the nations nowadays, 
politicians. Wow, isn't that the truth? No, no one encourages this. That they, you have to look for. And and I know Krishnamurti, he didn't want to be seen as a, a a spiritual leader. He he wanted people to discover this this for themselves. But that we have to look to you know these rare handful, whether we call them mystics, like people like Lao Tzu. Yeah, yeah. Like Tao Te Ching to yeah. remind us that all this this running around and exhausting ourselves for the sake of being busy, it it it, it kills our, our this vitality, this spirit the spirit of the valley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, uh thank you for sharing that. I, I really love it. And uh, I also want to share with you and our listeners, uh, as I prepare for this podcast, uh, you know, two passages uh, by two different people, two mystics uh, about this valley thing. Okay. Great. Yeah. Let's uh, let me bring up the passages I saw. Um, Uh, one is my favorite uh, author, uh, Thomas Merton. Mm. Yes, uh, there are two. Actually, there are two passages, uh, you know, uh, from his journals uh, that touches upon, you know, this valley. Um, the first one is like this: How the valley awakes. At 2.15 in the morning, there are no sounds except in the monastery. The bells ring. The office begins. Outside, nothing except perhaps a bullfrog saying um in the creek or in the guesthouse pond. Some nights, he is in Samadhi. There is not even Am. So this is one of his passages. Mm -hmm. The other one is a cool and lovely morning, clear sky, ever-changing freshness of woods and a valley. One has to be in the same place every day. Watch the dawn from the same house. Hear the same birds wake each morning to realize how inexhaustibly rich and different is sameness. This is the blessing of stability. Mm. So I, I love both of those and the the imagery of the first one in in particular i i want to hear m more of your reflections on those two and and why you chose them but i'm also wondering if if first could you tell us a little bit about thomas merton for people who aren't familiar with him and 
um, just a quick snapshot of of um, his his who, who he is and and what he wrote about. Well, uh, Thomas Martin was a uh, you know a uh, one of the greatest uh, spiritual uh, thinkers in the 21st century. Uh, 20th century. Mm-hmm. He originally he was you know he uh, you know he attended he went to. Uh, Columbia University, but uh, then suddenly one day he decided to be a monk. Mm-hmm. So he went to uh, Kentucky and uh, become a, a monk uh, in uh, in a, a Trappist mm-hmm. monastery. Mm-hmm. And um, so he wrote, kept a journal uh, to write down his observation of nature and also his reflections. And a lot of those are just like what I share with you were so beautiful. Uh, he, he not he not only you know he was a Catholic, but he was interested in Zen, uh, in uh, in Taoism, mm-hmm. like a Zhuangzi. He actually took the time to translate some, some of the Zhuangzi. Oh, wow. uh, and uh, I think I'm just you know always like his writing because it was so it. Just by reading it, it just put me in that space he was in, you know. Uh, actually, I uh, several years ago, I made a trip. It's almost like a pilgrimage oh. to that place. Yeah. And uh, he has a, a little very simple house. You know, I imagine some of the writing, you know, he mm. you know, early in the morning or, you know, part of the day he saw. It's, it's just like so so beautiful yeah and and so why did you choose those two selections what what do those mean to you well first of all i did a keyword search of valley so mm-hmm. you know i i imagine that he must have wrote uh, written something about the valley so i wrote it and those are what i found with that keywords he Valley was mentioned in there, but it's everything around that valley. You know, the 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 frog, the birds, hmm. and everything. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one. Uh, you know, from Thomas Merton. The other, just a quickly want to share with you is from uh, from the the po- poet. You know, uh, the Gibran. You know, he yeah. said hmm. there there are those who give. And know not pain in giving, nor do they seek joy, nor give with mindfulness of virtue. They give, as in yonder valley, the myrtle breathes its fragrance into space. So that reminds me of another uh, another Chinese idiom called Kongu Yulan. Kongu means an open valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in that open valley, there lives the orchid. That orchid, the, the fragrance of the orchid, you know, it doesn't want to show everybody. See how, how, how you know, how, how nice the smell is. It just, you know, sends that fragrance into space. So that is, I think that is also symbolizes to me like a person of Tao. So when I, when we really live in accordance with Tao, we just become who we truly are, you know, without 
thinking and calculating and wanting to signal to people how great we are. Yeah. If we are connected with that uh, ground of being, I think that's really like what life is all about. And no doubt that that, that resonates to be very true for me too. And I'm just, uh, I'm kind of struck over the head just because of how opposite our culture is to that sentiment that in, in our current world of all that matters is the number of likes that you get or how many followers that you have and the more significance you have as a human mm -hmm. is directly related to, you know, those numbers, you know, how many people are following you, mm -hmm. how many, mm -hmm. how many people are you influencing? And to do that, it doesn't matter what approach that you use. It's just the, the means doesn't matter. The, the end is what matters. And that's how many, mm -hmm. how many people are, are following you? What are those? Numbers? Right, <laughs> right, right. I sometimes, you know, I wonder whether it's, it seems like, you know, the things that you shared uh, and I shared with you, um, people, I sometimes I wonder people, um, you know, I know there are individuals out there, including, uh, you know, our listeners, uh, you know, have kind of exposure to that, but uh, to, to, to those like traditions, the mystical traditions. But I wonder, you know, in the main, there, there's just not much. I mean, it's there, mm -hmm. but there's not much that people are talking about or. No, no. I mean, if, if I think if, and I'm not, I'm going to try not to mm -hmm. speak like n negatively of the, the people who who are out there but everything's political today so yeah 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 i agree at least po political figures whether it's on the left or, or the right and and i would say centrist but it, it's a sign of how immoderate our times are that people who are more moderate even though behind the scenes, I'm sure they're doing a lot of the work. Nobody knows their names. Nobody knows who they are, who they are. People focus on mm -hmm. those political figures on the extremes. And we have lost those voices who are just saying things like what Thomas Merton said, which is the riches of life come from these still moments where mm -hmm the bullfrog just making the sound in harmony with everything yeah. around it. It's not worried about trying to, you know, be something other than what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, you know, talking about the political, uh, first of all, you know, political, political is only one, maybe, dimension of being a being human right there's a 
some need there. I was wondering why we're speaking as a humans. I mean, I know there are a lot of so, so, social forces are pushing us toward that being more critical. But is there a metaphor? Is, is there a, a deeper reason why, you know, we're becoming so political? You know, I have a theory, which is maybe people want to feel more alive, you know, by being, you know, all in a big rally, <laughs> they feel like the life energy just bubbles up. Uh, to some extent, I understand that. But also, sometimes I wonder, you almost need that, that, that kind of a sur surge or that kind of a rush of energy to sustain, to make you feel alive all the time. I was wondering, maybe we're just so singular or so one-dimensional about feeling alive. For example, you know, that what Thomas Merton, what, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Krishna Murti described, that also, in a quiet way, makes us, I would argue, even more alive yeah. sometimes than those political activism that seem to make us feel. Yeah, that there's... <clears throat> I think that the the type of aliveness mm -hmm. Krishna Murti and Thomas Merton are talking about. I'm I'm going to use a, a neuroscience metaphor, but you know, mm. oxytocin. We talk about it as the the love neurotransmitter. It it takes. Mm. It's kind of like quieter, but more stable. And it takes a lot more time to build up. It's it's like it's the feeling that you get from seeing a cherished loved one who you've experienced uh, mm -hmm. a lot of life with. It doesn't have this huge rush associated with it, but it it, it is deep and and stable and and quiet. Where mm -hmm. where dopamine, that's the like lust neurotransmitter mm. you know, like that mm. rush of like attraction to something or you know being highly stimulated by by something and and there's no doubt that it seems like with politics particularly in the world of social media it's all about getting those dopamine hits of whether it's outrage or mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm the the feeling the the rush of chastising someone that we think doesn't get it or has the wrong view of, of us or you know some political victory but i think ultimately what we're talking about is you know it's there's a loss of of spirit there's a loss of tradition of mm -hmm. of spirit and and these ancient ways where I'm not saying that um, organized religion in and of itself is is the path that that we should be following, but we can see how when the common community ties that people had in you know e each culture has its own tradition, and yeah, and in many ways those have all been 
uprooted by globalization, that there's been this push to get everyone around the world on the same page, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the process, there's been this, um, we've created a monoculture to some extent. And, and this, uh, I think so. Ironically, you know, ironically, I, I think we have. And the problem is, is that that uproots everyone's sense of community of self, those ties that binds that, you know, in the past, yeah, there was a thousand ways of worshiping, you know, Venus of wor- worshiping the mysterious female. Yeah. And they were all accomplishing the same thing. But now we've uprooted all that, and and what we're left with is this political wasteland. Nietzsche talked about this. He said, you know, yeah, God is dead, and and essentially, what we're going to be left with is um, politics, and that politics aren't going to be uh, enough. And obviously, that's the case. And we're seeing what a wasteland we're we're left with when. Um, the political is all that we have. Yeah, talking about wasteland, that word itself reminds me of the this uh, T. S. Eliot. Oh yeah, right? great. Right? He talked about you know this in living in the age of knowledge. You know, there's no wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about life. There's no real living. Yeah, so it is a, like a wasteland. This this kind of you know, I'm not saying that. You know, maybe at one time you needed those kind of uh, quick acting rush, right, of energy. Yeah. But at other time, I'm saying it seems like we're losing that balance, right? We Mm -hmm. all have that craving. Everybody's just craving for that quick acting effect as opposed to more long lasting, you know, and a more... Uh, quiet and still that kind of liveness. Yeah. And, and the irony of it being free, readily available. It, if we just allow ourselves the, the time, I know you, you really have a commitment to as much as possible starting your day that way. I know that you have your lake and how much mm-hmm. time you try to carve out to go, and really immerse yourself in in that and that it is kind of like that ever present life that springs forth from those areas that you try to um al- harmonize with yeah yeah because i <clears throat> i enjoy it i i think i i love it 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 just gave me a certain like a distance and space uh uh, between me and the uh, and the world out there, it doesn't mean like I'm not uh, I'm not uh, I'm you know like um, disconnected with the world uh, with the world because I still need to operate in it. Mm-hmm. You know, to I have friends. You know, I I need to conduct my work, but I find it it helpful not to be drag into it, just like totally identify with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can more dynamically throughout my day 
to choose the time, you know, and space and say, you know, I'm connected with something deeper. Uh, and then, I, I, I mean, with that connection, it actually, interestingly, improves the quality of my work, mm-hmm. the quality of my inter- interaction with other individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like, um, it doesn't like, I feel like I'm any, any, anything better. It, it just gives me more, a wider perspective to look at the same thing. Let's say something, somebody is just go, gets so upset or frustrated, mm. you know, with that situation. For whatever reason, maybe I, I you know, I, I draw a lot of the, uh, the spirit from a deeper and quiet place, um, you know, I can use that to 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 look at something in a different frame. Yeah, and I I, I want to hear more about that, particularly how you go into those moments when you're you know, expanding your mind like the valley and, mm-hmm. and, and how you see yourself in those, how you experience yourself in when you go to those places. How do I, could, yeah, could you re, uh, explain like, that? Yeah, like how, how do you, <clears throat> how do you change when you go into those places? I'm, I'm you know, we're, we're thinking about you know, walking the timeless way and trying to give people maybe some pointers on how they can also engage in some some place. Like we each have our own kind of favorite places that we go to. But if someone wanted to try to find that for themselves, how might they discover those places and how might they think about themselves or show up in those places in a way so that they can get that expansiveness of, um, that we're talking about. Mm, I think just to kind of slow down to Mm. notice, uh, and then when you, because I think noticing is, uh, First of all, very important because mm-hmm. if we don't notice things, whatever is around us, it, it just passes by, mm-hmm. right? So once you notice, you will find something either so interesting or beautiful. Mm-hmm. Then you start to be attracted to it mm-hmm. and you enjoy it. And the more you look at it, you see patterns. Mm-hmm. You see, you start to see, oh, Actually, what you're seeing here, then you can draw a connection between something else you see. That makes it even more interesting and enjoyable. Um, I think all of that happens sometimes is a combination of both intellectual and more experiential, uh, or a little bit analytical, but it's not one thing. Sometimes just by looking at it, is there's a sense of awe, and uh, you know it, it quiets quiets your mind, 
you're not like constantly analyzing mm. and calculating. So I, I think it, it, overall effect is like you have a, a richer life mm -hmm. that you don't feel boring. You don't need to say, oh, I need to go to the world and prove something, which I used to do, you know, because I feel that gives you a high. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, you know, you, 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 you don't see the need of using that to affirm that you are alive. Mm. I can be alive any place or any moment, um, you know, when, when I get connected with what's surrounding me. So there's some... I don't need a platform. I don't need a political platform or professional platform. Well, when I am in that platform, if I play the role, you know, I will bring in something else to that platform, mm -hmm. which in, in itself, um, it's a again, it's an interesting thing. So I don't feel like, you know, in the past, I will say, oh, I need a good job to prove myself to experience my creativity. I feel creativity can be exercised and can be found as long as you are conscious. Yeah, it's a beautiful way of de describing it. And, and some of the key things that I heard is don't have an agenda. Mm. You show up and Ooh. yeah, boy. Yeah. No, there's no agenda. You're not trying to accomplish something. You're just experiencing what's there and noticing. And and through that act of experiencing, noticing, having no agenda, the richness of it come comes out naturally. You don't you don't have to to work for that. It just it blossoms. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times agenda limits you because you are constantly, you know, thinking about, oh, you know, have I accomplished my agenda or <laughs> have I not accomplished my agenda? You you just missed out so so many things over there mm -hmm. by being so obsessed with the, you know, agenda. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you you lose the all the that valley spirit, right? The valley spirit. Completely. So I, I really appreciate you sharing your um, experience of, of, of the valley, this expansiveness of how to connect with the mysterious female spirit and, and sharing the words of Thomas Merton and, and helping us to all understand that this is all readily available to us if if we're willing to give it a, a shot. Exactly, and thank you for sharing, uh, you know, Christy Murty's mm. uh, that passage. I, I really love it, and um, maybe after our podcast, I would like to have a, you know, that passage. Uh, I, I would like to put into uh, my commonplace notebook. Without a doubt, I'm, I'm happy to share it. And thank you to our listeners who have showed up today. And, and as always, if you 
want to reach out to us, you can find us at walkingthetimelessway.com.